Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to yet another episode of Help From Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast made by and for Keyforge friends across borders and all around the world. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I am also known as Alex. Joined this week, as always, by the strategist, the tournament expert. It's SC Steel. Hello, hello. And Coach Boulevard Blake, it's the Paper Fighter. How's it going, buddy? Hey, man. How you doing? Not too badly. Not too badly at all. I want to start things off by saying that uh, uh, I was really bummed out to miss recording last week, but I was so happy to listen to that Key Rackin episode. Having not had an opportunity to play the Key Rackin Key Forge adventure as of yet, you guys shed so much light on what that experience was like for me, the the, the person who has not yet had the opportunity to to experience it. So I wanted to say a huge thank you from me uh, for putting that episode together. That was that was tremendous. Super fun. Yeah, that was a that was a really fun episode to record. Uh, it was also really fun afterwards to get all the the messages telling me that uh, Sydney and I were incorrect <laughs> in the way that we were playing the game. So that was also fun. Uh, turns out so much that, feedback. Yeah, a lot of feedback, which was great. Good learning experience, and we just wanted to share that here in case people uh, take what we say as uh, the word of law, and uh, that is not always the case. We all are uh, sometimes human and can make mistakes, and we did. So on my part, I use Grogans to fight into the Kirakin, which is not possible because Kirakin is neither a creature nor on a flank. So therefore, it is an invalid target for Grogans. So that amazing 24 damage turn I did uh, is actually not possible. So yeah, that was good fun. And Sydney, how about you? Yeah, my Twin Bolt emissions win is so with that the satisfyingness of it completely stolen from me because of course Kirakin's not a creature. So I apparently barely lost that game instead of barely winning that game. Yeah, it is unfortunate. So basically any direct damage, because almost every direct damage says target creature means that you cannot put a direct damage towards the Kirakin. So the puzzle continues to need to be solved. All and I'm going to say it. is there's no instant replays in Keyforge. <laughs> that, that's not a that's not a rule of the game. Still, looking forward to getting the opportunity to try out some key racking adventures of my own. Let's move on to this week's episode. So we are now into May, which means that very shortly our friends down in the U.S. should be able to pick up Dark Tidings, uh, the most recent Keyforge expansion, at their very own local game store. Um, but as of right now, still not widely available in the United States of America. Quick temperature check on that, Sydney. Are you are you absolutely going bonkers from anticipation at this point? Oh my God, I'm buzzing with excitement. I cannot wait. So what we thought we'd do for this episode was Sydney came up with a bunch of questions for myself and Blake, who've played quite a bit of Dark Tidings at this point, um, to sort of get, uh, I guess, a general impression of our thoughts on the set and uh, hoping that it will tide folks over for another couple of days until they can get decks into their own hot little hands. Are you all ready to do this? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Sydney, why don't you fire away with a question? All right. First and foremost, I've played against a handful of decks, but having not been the driver of the Dark Tidings decks, is it fun? Are you guys having fun with the new set? I would say that I'm having a lot of fun with the new set, um, partially because so much of the fun of Keyforge is always discovery. Even if you've spoiled an entire set for yourself, it's not the same as knowing how the set plays in practice. And to me, that's always the most fun 
part of Keyforge. It's when there's freshness, there's newness. Nobody's an expert yet. The the best decks haven't risen to the top, so everybody's just playing a lot of different stuff. And so I'm having an ex- a really fun experience playing Dark Tidings, but I don't know if that necessarily means that it will be like an overall very fun set going forward. I think it will because it has a lot of fun mechanics in it, but I do foresee a time when it will have some problems when we're playing it more broadly against other high-level decks uh, from other sets in the past. Yeah, I mean, the fun factor for me is through the roof, actually. I'm, I'm loving the way this set plays. Not only that, but I have a friend that I play with who is not part of like our local Keyforge community. He just got into it, so when we hang out, we play. And so he's gotten to experience the set the same way I have, which is from scratch. And he, he literally says to me every time we play every Friday night, he goes... Man, I'm having so much fun playing Keyforge. I can't remember having this much fun playing. So he's really enjoying it in that regards. And I find I like the way it plays uh, against itself a lot. Like it has that that AOA vibe where, you know, when you played AOA against AOA, there's really fun things that happen. But Uh-oh. it's not quite the same. I think it may struggle some decks when you put it against... Um, I feel like Worlds Collide is going to be the biggest like factor that could hurt this set to Mm -hmm. be very frank why it's the the big creature boards Mm. and the lack of like not like i don't mean like like the size of the creature i mean both size and the width of the of the creature count that will (laughs) exist is there's not a lot of board clear like straight up board clears in this set like we have seen in the past and so i think it could be problematic like you have selective selective preservation is a big one and then you have like infighting where it's not going to be a board wipe. It's only going to be certain things are taken out. So uh-huh. like, I mean, you have ways of thinning, but you don't really have ways of like truly wiping. And I foresee that being a bit problematic. Yeah, I would agree with that statement. I think that there's also an issue that you're going to see with some like, as always, Coda is a, a, a bugbear in that certain things that can happen in Coda decks, like other sets just just don't have good ways of dealing with. And like scaling Amber control is just not a thing in this set. Like there's, there's ways. Bring low. That's it. Yeah. But you know, there's, there's ways of dealing with people bursting and there's actually a fair bit of burst in this set, but like crazy Coda burst is very difficult for this set to deal with. So how does Dark Tidings address the strengths of some of the other sets like control the weeks or repate an AOA? I would say that this set almost feels like it's really designed to be like this very hermetic experience within itself in a lot Mm. of ways. And that's both positive and negative. The positive is that games of dark tidings against dark tidings are universally like a lot of fun. There's lots of weird interactions that happen. There's lots of oddball little things that can only seem to happen within this set. But Honestly, I feel like when I've the couple of times when I've played Dark Tidings against like reasonably good decks from other sets, it's been on the back foot almost every single time. And that's, you know, from exactly the things that we've already mentioned, the lack of scaling amber control, the fact that board clears are less prevalent here than they have ever been in any other set. And so there's a lot of advantages to playing pretty much almost everything else against Dark Tidings, I feel like. And you know, that could also be the fact that I'm not playing super high-end Dark Tidings decks. I'm still just playing, like, every deck that I pulled out of the the uh, display box. So, you know, none of those decks have risen to the top yet. 
but I do feel like on an on an average scale, it has a lot of trouble with with some of those other uh, aspects from the previous sets. Yeah, I mean, I have some top uh, dark tidings from what I've identified. Like they're just really good, and I've played them, and and they put in work against other sets. Like like put in work. Like it's not funny. And I think that we may see a similar thing to AOA where the top, the cream of the crop is like really, really next level. But the the mid tier below are not going to be quite the same. Like in mass mutations, a mid tier mass mutations deck could put in a lot of work against an, an upper echelon. But uh, I have to say Dark Tidings, I'm not sure if it will, but it is so much fun to play. Like I, I find I'm enjoying playing Dark Tidings more than I have most other sets just because of the way this stuff interacts. I think part of it could be there is a lot of house cheating, which I absolutely love. Like everyone knows, mm. if you listen to this, I'm a huge Star Alliance fan because of that. <laughs> but there, I feel like there's a little bit more of it in this set in general. Like things like Youngest Bear, you can reap with your neighbor being in Untamed. And I also think that if this was designed as the first experience in trying to expand the player base, if you'd never played Keyforge before... And this is what got you into the game and starting from here and you just went Dark Tidings versus Dark Tidings. You're having a fantastic play experience, like maybe the best Keyforge play experience, I, I'd have to say. So would you introduce someone to Keyforge through this set? I kind of want to say yes. Like even though it's not simple by any means, I think if you can get through the fact that it's more complex and just allow the play from there, because a lot of people are saying that introducing people to the game through Coda now is not actually the best way because of it is overly simplified compared to future sets. Sure. So if you can get past that complication that exists within this set and just go into the sheer learn how to play this and enjoy it, I think it it does provide the most fun out of all the sets for me. Not the strongest, but definitely you're going to have the most fun playing it. That's kind of what I feel so far. Yeah. The trade-off that we see between this and say, like, for example, Coda is that Coda is a great starting set because it's a simplified version of the game that we understand exists today. But it's also a set that really like started off with a lot of wow factor. Like it was just like, wow, these cards, they, they feel like they should be way too powerful. And yet that crazy swinginess means that games can go like any direction. And it's really thrilling to play because my gosh, you know, it feels like anything could happen. Whereas I feel feel like Dark Tidings is a much more like subtly balanced game. I feel like mm -hmm. there's lots of like interesting interactions that you discover as you're playing it. And I'm still discovering as I play and there's lots of interesting decisions to make. And that's kind of what makes it such a wonderful set to introduce people to because you're not going to give like the, the crazy wham bam pow factor that Coda gave you. But what you're going to get is the, you will feel engaged with the game. You'll be really excited by the things you learn and it makes you want to play more after you discover them immediately because now I know about this cool combo or now I know about this cool way that I can use these cards in this specific way or that's a cool decision that I get to make depending on where we're at in the game. And I love stuff like that and I think other people do too. And I also think Absolutely. that the sequencing is wild in this. Like mm. if you mess up sequencing with Dark Tidings, like there is a much stronger detriment to what you could have had happen. Like it is way more negative, especially in Unfathomable. Like there is, I find there is a lot more like when I misplay, the the ramifications of that misplay are much higher than it has been in the past. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Huh. 
So, Alex, you mentioned before that you you don't know really if you're playing with good Dark Tidings decks yet. So do you guys feel like your your go-to criteria for how good a deck is still holds up for Dark Tidings? Um, it's hard for me to say. I feel like in Dark Tidings, because when you're playing within the Dark Tidings world, certain things that we've always prioritized as being like absolutely essential seem less so just hmm. because the game is different seemingly in, in playing Dark Tidings. Like that, you know, when we were talking about sort of the, the lack of, 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 of board clears and things like that, you know, you're not worried about that if you're playing another Dark Tidings deck because there's lots of other ways to deal with individual threats and there's lots of decisions to make about ways in which you can deal with that, which I think is, is kind of fascinating. So it's hard for me to say, you know, what a, like I almost feel like we have to have this metric that's, a good Dark Tidings deck playing Dark Tidings and a good Dark Tidings deck against every other set that's previously <laughs> existed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's... It's kind of... It's in a place, this set, where... The, like, the fun you're having is, is unquestionable. And like Alex said, it is missing things. But at the same time, you don't feel like you're lacking when you're playing. That's what's so weird about it. Even though it's missing things, it doesn't feel like it's lacking. Like I don't, I'm not like, oh, I'm annoyed this isn't here. It's just kind of like you're adapting in a new way. That like I've obviously referenced AOA a couple times, but the weird thing is about this is it's almost an inverse of AOA in a way. Mm. Where AOA, we had these such high creature counts and lower ember control like ways that actually you could control ember but here you feel like you have much higher action card counts and and less an average of creatures and you have these little ways you can control ember it's like nothing truly like coda significant but there are ways where you're going to have chances if they're if they're in check or or maybe at seven ember instead of six like you can buy yourself a turn to keep going like it's nothing like he was saying the scaling ember is not there but there's so many little ways where you can delay that one key and buy yourself a turn to try and get back in the game which is what i think makes it so much fun is i find all my games go uh, they're very rarely blowouts they they go down to the wire and it has a really nice back and forth and i think that's why i enjoy this because there's there's very rarely that just like one-sided stomping you're getting a nice little bit of both going back and forth and it's always a good battle i agree with that 100 percent. it does sure. feel like a set where things are balanced in such a way to try and keep people in the game right up to that third key that's really exciting. So speaking of playing within Dark Tidings versus playing against other sets, how important is it to focus on the Tide if you're playing a different set? So does it feel to you as the Dark Tidings player that your opponent getting those three chains, does that make up for them stealing the Tide from you? I'll say this. Um, if I was playing a non-Dark Tidings deck, or a non-Dark Tidings deck against a Dark Tidings deck, I would be looking at my opponent's battle line and artifacts every single turn to figure out if there was some way that I could impair them by grabbing the tide during my turn. Because, I mean, it's an obvious advantage, and I think this is one of the things they built into Dark Tidings to sort of give it a, a fighting chance against other sets, is that because there's no advantage to any your opponent taking the tide except for taking it away from you if you're playing Dark Tidings. That's not true. Uh, how so? Well, you have uh, Operative Espion, which allows you then to house cheat 
if the tide's raised, you have also that sanctum creature, the six power two armor one. I can't remember the name. It's got a really weird name. Starts with an S. Where whenever the tide is raised, your opponent's keys cost plus two. So there are ways when you can call the tide, even though you're not playing dark tidings, because the global effect of the tide is affected. Okay, each fair player. point. Those Fair ones, point. but but, but on barring the whole, those being on the table, there is no advantage to you as a non-dark tidings deck player to taking the tide, other than taking it away from your opponent, and that's going to cost you three chains. So, I mean, the 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 strategy that I've been taking right now is if I'm playing a dark tidings deck against a non-dark tidings deck, I try and take the the tide early and hope my opponent won't even think about touching it. And oftentimes mm-hmm. they don't because they go three chains. Well, what could possibly be? And yet, that's what gives me a lot of power because there's so many decks or so many cards, Sydney, in the set which rely upon you having the tide in order sure. to be effective. Things that allow you to capture amber when the tide is raised. Things that allow you to house cheat when the tide is raised. Things that make a card even better when the tide is raised. For example, there's a card in every single house that gives you a raise the tide. If the tide's already raised, then do this pretty good effect. Mm-hmm. So it's either, you know, it's giving you the tide or if you've already got the tide, hey, here's here's something even better. So there's lots of cool stuff like that. Do you see a lot of that on play or something's in play and it has to reap or fight or have a static effect? Both. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've, I've also seen interesting things that exist where it's like you have to think about the tide. Sometimes when your opponent has it, their effects specifically say after the tide is raised and then something oh. really wild happens. So if you leave it where you don't pull the tide back, you know next turn they can't switch the tide. So that means that effect won't happen. So sometimes you have to play this weird game of chicken where you want them <laughs> to take the tide. So therefore they can't do it again. And there's there it's not a universal thing. So it's sometimes juggling between when the tide is high effects versus after you've raised the tide effects. And it's really interesting. Like, for example, like I mentioned, that creature that that raises key costs. So, you know, if you're about to go and check, but not past eight, if they basically get the tide or you pull the tide, they can just raise the tide and they take you off a check. So I think it's such an interesting kind of proposition that exists. And it's very well thought out in that regard that you have to consider the tide in different ways. Not only do you need it, but do you want to prevent your from your opponent from like being able to raise it? So you leave it high with them so that they can't. That's such a heavy level of strategy. I love it. Mm-hmm. One of one of my biggest fears is that with the chains being thrown around so much, because once you get over six chains, you start drawing two less cards. And then mm. once you get to 13, 14, the game just slows down incredibly. Have you guys run into any of that where your game chains have just gotten so high that it's actually impeding your play? A hundred percent I have. I had a game where I got up to 15 chains or 16 chains or something like that. And it's because my opponent and I were were basically having a a game of chicken where we kept our our boards were such that we weren't really able to effectively take out each other's problem creatures. But they were all problem creatures that you could sort of disable by taking the tide over to your side. And so it just became this thing where I was like, counting up what I could do if I had the tide versus what my opponent could do. And every single time I came up with, I have to take the tide. I can't let this stand. And that affected things like key cost and certain special abilities and amber control and all kinds of other things. And it was just, you know, it was certainly the the fact that our two decks were very much, you know, a match in that sense, but it was a super fun game just because every single turn I was looking at it going, can I get away with letting my opponent keep the tide and maybe get a bit of a leg up by having better card draw? No, I got to take the tide. I got to take the tide. <laughs> and that was, to me, one of the super funnest things about it. 
that's really, really cool. Are are the houses sticking with like previously established themes in in mechanics and and all of the things that they do based on the tide? Um, I would agree that they basically are. Um, Burst is back in Untamed, baby. Like that is mm, something that yep. we saw huge in this set is that Untamed can burst again, but it's a burst with a cost, which is the difference between it and classic Untamed Burst. Classic Untamed Burst is just you play a bunch of cards and suddenly you're rich in amber. This is the I am going to take the tide. I am going to pay for this. And hopefully, if I have some way of getting the tide and keeping the tide, I can continue to profit from this. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's cards like Chelonia that allow that are it's a hunting witch when the tide is high. <laughs> and so your yeah. opponent can say, well, I don't have a means to take out Chelonia this turn, but I can take away the tide and force you to eat three more chains to get it back unless you have a card that'll take the tide for you. So there's all kinds of decisions like that um, that I think are, are tied to the tide, interestingly that fit in with the sort of general house identities. Like Logos still has all kinds of card draw and now like a lot more steel, which is one of those things where I'm like, did Logos really need that (laughs) in their toolbox? Really? (laughs) um, Shadows is, Shadows is actually quite good again, I find. Um, Really? After a couple of sort of lackluster shadow sets, I'm finding that this one has a good deal of steel and capture and other interesting amber control in it. In fact, it's fun. Yeah. That's really cool. Ahead, I definitely think that the identities were reinvigorated is kind of how I feel. Like Sanctum, I thought, has come a very long way since Coda, like a very long way. And I really enjoy Sanctum in the last two sets quite a bit. Uh, I think their identity has been solidified in the previous two sets is, is what I want to say, especially in this set. I think it's it's really neat the way it's it's utilized. And like Alex said, Untamed, yeah, we got that Coda identity back, but more balanced. And then unfathomable just as a new set um it's a completely different identity well i'm sure we'll circle back around to that later but the logos is definitely the oddball in terms of its identity not only strengthened but like diversified at the same time like he said (laughs) like it was kind of weird but you definitely get way more archiving and stuff like that which is uh very fun to see and provide some really interesting gameplay choices i feel that uh the one set what set are we what house were we missing here oh star lions and dinos um they kind of went i feel like last set we took a step back with with both those two new houses they they took a a giant step back actually for the most part and this set they kind of came more forward into what i think is a balanced way like i i love star lions in this set i think it's really fun and interesting and very thematic like the the thematic aspects of star lines that exist in this set are kind of wild actually what have mm-hmm. your thoughts been on that alex i've been really actually loving uh the the creatures in specifically mm. in star alliance like there's lots of cool artifacts and upgrades and stuff like that like there always is with 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 star alliance <laughs> but some of the creatures have just been like especially with the the evil twin versions of them as well. Like it feels like there's lots of really cool options with them. And of course, because the star Alliance is at its heart, an alliance, it feels like it's got lots of interesting aspects that are put together about cards working together, either in house or out of house that I really dig as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's this amazing two pair or a pair of cards that you can get in some decks, calm officer gross and calm officer Higgs, where oh, basically yeah. 
they have this uh, play. Basically, you play one, you can search your deck for the other one, then put it into play on the other side of your battle line, and then each of them has a fight or reap ability based on how many creatures are between them. Which yeah. is really they basically cool. they guarantee that that can that that power gets off because you get the other one from your deck to put it into play. Yeah, exactly. There's wow. also if they survive. If they survive, yeah. So oh, good they point. don't come in ready. So you know you have a chance, and because they have to be on your your uh, uh, flanks in order for you to be able to use mm. them, um, it can be very difficult. Or at least they have to start off on the flank because you have to put them down on either side uh, to make it to make the powers go. But there's also stuff like Rocketeer Triska, who when mm-hmm. the tide is high, her neighbors come in ready. You know, there's all kinds of fun stuff like that, and it really does feel like this is this is Star Alliance's identity now. It's the mm-hmm. help house. The yeah. teamwork house, the we're going to get some good <laughs> synergies going house. So, Blake, you alluded to this, but introduce me to House Unfathoma. What are what are its key mechanics? What's its identity? Exhaustion. That's what it is. It's, it's disruption through exhaustion. Huh. And it's it's very interesting. I, I will have to say that the disruption that it provides is definitely there because when Dis left, we knew we were losing a disruption house. But it's not the same. It, it feels dialed back a little bit and much more... It's interesting and at the same time not as powerful because like I, I do have a deck that I, I figured out that it, I could probably call unfathomable every turn and make wow. you so you can't use your creatures. Like you just like I can exhaust that aggressively like with two artifacts and three creatures that can create an exhaust effect through reaping and such. It's like, okay, I can just call and reap and gain ember and you'll never get to use your board. And this set, surprise, has a lot less Ember Pips on cards. A lot less Ember Pips than we've seen really? in the past. Yeah. Like, if you're getting 10, your 10 plus is, like, you have a lot of Ember Pips in your deck. Like, I'm finding, like, 7 or 8 seems to be, like, the average. Mm, I'd agree with that, yeah. Interesting. I guess coming from Mass Mutation, I was expecting um, the enhancements to have... Uh, kind of crept in there as well aren't there there's still cards that are reprinted from mass mutations that give enhancements are they mm-hmm. are they have they lost their luster uh, it just seems to be draw and capture are the main pips which i feel are, mm. are the appropriate ones to have yeah. like the only the only time you see a damage or an ember pip i think is when it's part of a creature that provides like one of each like mutagenesis researcher that one but for the most part you're seeing mainly the draw pips added and then capture pips which i would say are probably the most beneficial ones to have and the most interesting to have added sure sure so now that but you're talking are- about like two creatures getting enhanced maybe four if you're lucky like it's it's like that's the average like like seems like two creatures and lots of wow. decks with just zero enhancements yeah oh that's so interesting I hope that it's a mechanic that comes back in force because it was just so loved in Mass Mutation. Yeah. I think one of the other interesting things about Unfathomable is that it is a house of conditions and choices. Mm. Um, yeah. That's more broadly a thing with Dark Tidings as a whole. Like, Sydney, there are so many cards that are, uh, choose one of these effects, whichever one makes sense to you now. And, like, neither of them is a top-tier effect, but both of them are good, <laughs> like, toolbox effects. Yes. Oh, that's it's like, so oh, cool. right, destroy a flank creature or return two enemy creatures to your opponent's hand. Great, that's awesome, that's useful. Um, but, so, choice is great, and every house has choice cards. You know, uh, one where you're going to choose an effect based on whichever one makes sense for you to use at that particular moment. But especially in Unfathomable, you're seeing lots of conditional ones that are based on the status of the tide and especially on exhaustion. So just as Blake put it, you know, there's cards like Sleep with the Fishes where destroy each uh, exhausted creature. 
So if you have a way of exhausting all your opponent's creatures without exhausting all your own creatures, that's hugely advantageous. Sure. Um, and there's lots of different conditions like that, which led, leads to the complexity of turns. Oh, that's so awesome. Have you guys Ex gotten um, any evil twin decks? I have. Yep, I have ah. one. So I'm so not owning any dark tidings yet. I really like I'm still as excited for them as advertised, but the the excitement about them has seemed to die down a little bit. Are are they still as desirable as it was made to seem they would be? I'm going to say no. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> they're, they're super cool, but they're 100% not as good as their counterparts. They're really cool. The aesthetic is amazing. Like in terms from a collector standpoint, they're like top tier and they they just look fantastic. They're they're interesting and unique, but I would say on the whole, what the evil twin does is not as good as what the original does. There are going to be a few that are outliers, but for the most part, I'd rather have the cards original form. Yeah, it depends. Like let, let me give you an example from my from my evil twin deck. Um, old Patty in his he's one of my favorite cards in the new set actually his his whole deal is uh, he's an untamed creature and when his power is he's a bear and he's fishing it's adorable artwork <laughs> um, when he reaps discard the bottom three cards of your deck or the bottom three cards instead if the or sorry discard the bottom card of your deck or the bottom three cards instead if the tide is high there's a tide is high thing for you to pay attention to <laughs> play each creature discarded this way one at a time so in a creature heavy deck you're potentially, every time you reap, getting to house cheat and bring cards onto the table. His evil twin's power is actually like an interesting counterpart to that. Reap, discard the bottom card of your opponent's deck, or the bottom three cards instead, if the tide is high, destroy a creature that shares a house with one of the discarded cards. Ooh. Oh, that one is good. So that's actually a useful power, but as Blake alluded to, a lot of the evil twin powers are just not as good because... I think they went all in on the idea of the evil in Evil Twin. So they're almost mm. always like destructive. Um, and oftentimes those destructive powers aren't as good as the counterpart that they have within their original version. They also aren't as rare. I've heard so many people actually got one or two in their display boxes. I think that's about the average you're supposed to have. Oh, I think okay. I heard it's like one in eight, I think was the the average. I may be mistaken about that, but it's it's somewhere in that region. For some reason I had it in my head they'd be as rare as anomalies. No, it's not that rare. Because yeah. if you think about it, there's there's evil versions of a deck that already exists. So mm. Yeah. But like even looking at Untamed right now, like, you know, the 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 I think that that old Patty example is a good one. But then if you're dealing with like youngest bear, reap, you may reap with one of youngest bear's neighbors. Awesome power. You know, youngest bear's evil twin is you may fight with one of youngest bear's neighbors, probably less good. <laughs> but it's yeah. like it's it's the it's the dichotomy because you either reap or fight. And then, for example, like old Egad has has uh, if you if this card says destroyed, you ward each of its neighbors. Now the opposite is destroyed, enrage all of your opponent's creatures, which is I think in a way the equivalent because two creatures being warded i would say is the equivalent of your opponent's entire battle line enraged because it's it's not something that you really like like we said you know enrage has never been as strong as ward but i will say that they seem to have got the mechanic correct in mm. this set hmm. 
Interesting. Because it's not so thrifty. They really went all in on it, which is kind of interesting. Like that one where a whole thing's enraged. And even uh, I had someone on my YouTube, uh, it goes by Call the Week. Peter said like the way that you have something like Myobi or Myliobi, he he seems like a soft board control because you enrage the creature he fights and each of its neighbors. So three creatures are now no longer able to be used for reaping or or anything like that. And you have like daughters or something like that with low power and static effects. It kind of makes them just dead creatures on the board that you can't utilize the same way. So it's it's really fascinating that they went so deep because in Worlds Clad we saw enrage very much like a singular creature gets enraged for the most part, which felt very um vanilla to say the least. Milk toast. Have you seen sure. Pester Grove Blake? Uh no, is that I have not. Oh everything is... enters enrage, that one? Yes. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. It's super interesting and man, it makes games wild. <laughs> There's certain decks it, it it absolutely wrecks because if you're playing against somebody who's got a lot of elusive creatures, man, it's easy for people to burn off that enrage. But yeah, so it's it's enrage is is a lot of it's it's it was correctly made into something that you're going to actually be like, okay, I, I want to use this to enrage now. Like un, unlike in the past, like even someone even said, can you imagine if Soul Fiddle, instead of saying enrage a creature, said enrage a creature in each of its neighbors, you'd be like, okay, I actually want to use Soul Fiddle now. Sure. So it was it was interesting that the evolution came to this for Enrage because it, it, they definitely didn't get it right on first blush. And now they seem to have corrected it to to a level where you actually like, you know what, I'm okay with Enraging some things now. This is going to have some good effect for me. Ward was way too powerful and Enrage was not powerful enough. Is there a lot of warding in Dark Tidings? No. No. <laughs> More than Mass Mutation, but... Less than less than worlds collide, more than mass mutation. That's how I would say it. Sure. Makes sense. So last question on my list. Do you guys miss dis? No. To be perfectly honest with you, I don't. Really? Um, Dis is an awesome house and I love them. Just like I love all Keyforge houses in my own way. But, you know, the fun of Dark Tiding is that it feels different. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I can't even imagine how Dis would interact in this set. Like it would have yeah. a very different identity, I think, in a lot of ways. And, you know, there's lots of cards that sort of give you like that little dis decision in Untamed or that dis like rush in uh, or not in Untamed in um, uh, the Unfathomable. Like Illusions of Grandir is sort of like a control the weak and stuff like that. So, you mm-hmm. know, there's lots of and Fugaru is kind of like a um, a succubus. You know, there's lots of little things that are, are sort of replicated within within House Unfathomable. And uh, Kalpi uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. You can only play one way. card of each kind each turn. So yeah, there's there's interesting yeah. things. Lots I, I honestly yeah, think that dis dis was so good in Coda that since then they've they've been trying to balance it and and it's never been the same. Like I think mass mutation dis was really interesting in terms of decisions. And obviously Worlds Collide had the the birth of Infernus, which just was a complete game changer. Like you see it's one of the most common cards in all uh tournament decks. As a result, like it's it's one of the most commonly played cards. So obviously it has has its moments, but I'm not actually missing disc because I'm finding Unfathomable interesting and the set itself is interesting. I don't think like, oh, I wish I had this disc effect right now. Like I've never had that feeling. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that I've been struggling on TCO while playing non-Dark Tidings decks is because the meta has changed so much simply because dis isn't there. I'm I'm I have to expect a whole different gameplay and and my my fallbacks for what I can expect 
just completely fall away. Mm. Fun discussion, Sydney. I'm so excited for you to get to play and for us to get to talk about it, you know, with you having that firsthand experience. Yeah. Cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. We call it Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. I got one for us this week. Um, this is a strategy that I have taken uh, with Dark Tidings that I find has been very productive for me. Um, I was having a big problem where I would plan out my turn and I wouldn't think about how I had to raise the tide in order to make the thing I wanted to have happen. And so what I've started to do is before I pick my house, when I'm looking at my hand, I look for the little tide symbol that is on every card that is in some way impacted by the tide being up or down. And I count those and I make sure that I have that in mind when I'm choosing what house to play. And then I think about whether or not I need to raise the tide at some point during my turn. Because it's not always at the beginning of your turn that you want to do it. Sometimes it's later on in your turn, depending on the combination of cards that are on the board or in your hand. True. But I found that doing that little exercise of, do I need to worry about the, uh, the, the tide this turn with, between what's in my hand and what's on the table? Looking for those little symbols really helps cinch it in for me. So uh, if you're not familiar with the way Dark Tidings cards look... If they have something that is impacted by the tide, you will see a little tide symbol on the card in its text. That's And genius. just looking for that was really helpful for me and reminding me of the, oh yes, you need to actually do this to get this effect so you're not missing out on effects when you play these cards. Mm, I can completely see myself needing that strategy once I get my hands on some decks. So I just have a question for, I guess this is more for you, Alex, than Sydney, but you will probably have a good opinion on this too, is would you consider cards that raising, that can raise the tide just from playing it, would you put that as a bump in the efficiency stat because you don't have to take change, which actually reduce your efficiency? I would definitely say that, yeah. I think that almost every card that raises the tide is just its base power is like, you want to see those in a Dark Tidings deck. Like mm -hmm. maybe not five of them or whatever, but certainly like one or two of them is incredibly helpful in my yeah, experience. Having not played anything, I think that synergy would matter. Just like you said, like if a lot of cards in the deck have a tide effect, then yes. If a lot of cards in the deck don't have a tide effect, then no. So you don't think it will have just in general? Well, I think the reason why I count it no matter what, because even if your deck doesn't, need the effect what if your opponent's effects are so strong that you need oh. to pull it so you want the tools either way yeah it goes both yeah. ways that's the thing yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah great conversation i think the tide is a topic that we'll be talking about a lot uh, throughout the life cycle of this particular set still just getting a grip on it ourselves sydney can we get an update on our grand giveaway i am very very excited to give you an update on the giveaway this week. So our, just a quick overview, we are giving away starter boxes filled with 12 decks and all the fixins to, to play the game. And uh, all you have to do to get one is email us at hffspodcast at gmail.com. And I am touched that Dean Windemuller reached out to us asking for one of these boxes so that his fiance can bring it to the domestic violence shelter that she works at in Kentucky called Greenhouse 17 to provide the kids some joy and happiness in an otherwise really traumatic time in their lives. 
I think that is probably the the epitome of why I wanted to do this giveaway. I am very excited to be a part of this with you, Dean, and your fiance. Dean, thank you. And and thank your fiance who works there for for doing this for the kids. I'm absolutely ecstatic. And I hope let us let us know how it goes. Provide us updates. I hope that um I hope that they absolutely love all of the Keyforge decks and that it can can bring them some happiness. And if folks want to enter that contest, what do they got to do? Email us about what you would do with uh, one of these starter boxes full of decks. Um, HFFSpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Excellent. All right. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter, on Instagram, and on The Crucible. Where can they find you, Sydney? I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord. And Blake, where can they find you? What do you got going on? You can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Blake. That's B-L-V-D Blake. On Instagram, BoulevardBlake.HFFS. And of course, on my YouTube, find the same way. And uh, also, we just want to give a shout out to everyone who has submitted questions for our now annual team up with Call of Discovery quiz showdown. This year is going to be a lot of fun and uh, we will be recording that this weekend. So that will be coming out next week, most likely. And it is going to be a ton of fun. We always look forward to this and we appreciate everyone who's been uh, clicking that link and contributing. By the time you hear this, uh, it will be closed and we will be getting everything compiled to have a grand old time with Ed and Zach. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, we'll be back at you next week. Until then, stay